everybody, it's me, Jade, and I am really glad to be back with you. That hiatus was super long, huh? Well, the reason it was so long was because I was in the process of graduating college. So, uh, woo, that was super fun. And, uh, and now that that's done, I, I'm really glad to be back here with you talking to more people about their wonderful activities and endeavors. So today's episode is with street poet and founder of Orange Blossom Poems, Dr. Diana Alvarez Hughes. And I think you'll really like her. She's a very thoughtful, eloquent person. And I think she really has uh, a lot of things to say, especially for any of you guys out there who write poetry or, or deal with the spoken word. So buckle in and remember, this is a WGC production. Hi, Diana, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm glad you're doing well. So let's just hop right into this. So where do you come from and where are your roots? Um, Well, I am originally from Orlando. um, So I would say that that's where my roots are. But now I live in Lakeland, Florida, and this is where roots have grown. All right, wonderful. And could you just sort of explain to us and my audience what it is that you do exactly? Sure. So I am a poet for Orange Blossom Poems, and Orange Blossom Poems is basically just myself and my typewriter. And sometimes at markets, I will um, set up and people come up and I ask them if there's a topic they would like for me to write a poem for them about. And if they don't have a topic, but they're curious and they love the idea of um, maybe getting a poem, then I ask them some guiding questions until we find where the heat is for them that day and then I write the poem about that and I also I want to add that I also do like commissions so if if folks for example can't come to a market or sometimes I've had out-of-town people and such they reach out to me via Instagram or Facebook and uh, we have the same rich conversation just fully virtually and uh, and then I mail them the poem through snail mail still typed so still the same somatic experience of you know the piece of paper in their hands and you know the typed text with whatever their poem ends up being so that is one of the ways I do it as well okay and could you just sort of talk us through how exactly you developed and created Orange Blossom Poems because it's a pretty uh, novel idea yeah sure yes thank you for that question because I I I love like being able to kind of reflect like yeah where did this kind of come from Mm -hmm. um and so I I have to um tell you that the first time I ever ran across a street poet which is what I refer to myself as and what this community of um you know just poets and artists with typewriters out in the world kind of call themselves was in the one of my favorite cities in the U.S., which is New Orleans. Uh-huh. And uh, I was there with my brand new boyfriend, who is now my husband. <laughs> but at the time, you know, he was my brand new boyfriend and he was giving me a ride from Lakeland back to Texas where I was going to school. And we stopped in New Orleans to kind of cut the trip in half. And he had never been. And I was like, oh, you got to see New Orleans. And when we were there, there was um, just a couple of people with typewriters out on the street. And I hadn't seen them before. You know, I'd been there a number of times. I had never seen them but on that day when I did I was like oh you know there was just this pull you know that kind of attracted me to one of the women with the typewriter and she actually waved at me and I was like okay that's it I have to talk to her and we went and she asked my Jeremy that's my husband's name and myself a little bit about us and what we were doing there and stuff and we told her and she was like okay give me a few minutes and I will type you up a poem and we were like Okay. And, uh, and it was so beautiful. She called it new love. And uh, we really, you know, kind of connected with it very short, you know, just in a, a small piece of sheet of paper that can fit like in a jean size pant pocket type stuff. But it really resonated with us. And uh, I remember taking it home and putting it on the fridge at my apartment. And now it's on the fridge at our home where our kids and stuff see it. So that had existed like in my head as, as, you know, this experience I had, but then Orange Blossom Poems came from the, to be honest, the coronavirus pandemic, right? And this um, having to stay home, not kind of being able to be around people. And I, I started thinking like, what can I do 
Um, you know, we're all going through this. I remember a hashtag I saw often was life in the time of Corona, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so something was happening and I was thinking, what can I do to bring some life, some joy to people in this time? And that's when I was like, you know what? I could, I know a lot of words. (laughs) I could write some poems for people. And I, I typed a few up and I sent them to actually Stephanie, um, Bernal Gregg over at um, Buena Market events and uh, you know I sent them to her and I have to tell you I was I had a lot of imposter syndrome right I was like oh Mm. gosh she's gonna be like what's this girl thinking of no and instead a few days later she was like these look great I think this would be a great fit for our market we'd love to host you and and then Orange Blossom Poems was a real thing you know living breathing um, thing that that affected people and obviously including myself but um, you know, that, that affected strangers and something about that felt really powerful. Like, like I was doing something important. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, thank you for sharing. Yes. So this also is like a very sort of romantic idea. Like you're walking down the streets of New Orleans with your future <laughs> husband, you get pulled in by a street poet, you affect <laughs> people's lives. It just seems like it's full of kismet and like this wonderful romantic idealism. Thank but it you. also is a business. So I want to know how exactly do you balance these creative, romantic, for lack of a better word, aspects with sure. the actual running of a business and treating it like a like a financial entity? Right. Yes. So for sure. So I feel like it's it's in many ways both and, right? It exists mm-hmm. both as this kind of beautiful, romantic endeavor and also as something that I do um very much with the intention of, you know, gaining some kind of monetary return on the poems. Um, So I tried to balance that. In the beginning, I was doing um, exclusively what I called your topic, your poem, your price, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, whatever people could give, that's what the price, the poem would cost, right? What was important to me was having these, these moments and being able to share and put into words something that was special for people. And I, I loved that. That was a great beginning. Uh, and so what ended up happening though, is at the markets, I would just have so many poems to write, <laughs> you know, um, which was a great feeling. And I remember we, um, to Market has this great team of photographers called the We're Lost Boys. And um, one of the gentlemen who works with them is this guy named Ernie and we were at a Buena Market at the joinery here in Lakeland, Florida. And he was like, wow, look at this line. And I was like, right. And I was so excited. And then by the end of the day, I had like made as much money as on a day when I have like four or five people. Right. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I, I do love writing the poems and it's not about excluding folks who can't afford it, but it just came to be. So now I there it's donation based and I do have a donation minimum, which is only ten dollars. It's not like, you know, it's um, anything exorbitant and stuff. But obviously, I understand that that'll exclude some folks who maybe only mm-hmm. had a couple of bucks. And, you know, uh, but that's a reality uh, when I think of it as, as a business, as it's becoming in, in many ways that I, I a choice I had to make, right? Um, that, okay, this meant that there was going to be less poems written. But it also meant that, you know, I would have perhaps a little more time to dedicate to each poem. And, um, you know that yes, it was it was also important to me that that the poems be like valued for the labor, the kind of emotional and creative labor that they cost me to create, and that's where it's at now. And I I've done the donation based a couple of times now, and I honestly thought it, I was like, oh gosh, how are folks gonna react? I'm gonna get a lot less. I still have days when uh, I'm just writing poems the whole five hours I'm out there (laughs) so (laughs) it hasn't uh, deterred folks which is great news but yes I hope that answers your question about the the life of the Orange Blossom poems is both a romantic entity and business yes it does (laughs) it did very succinctly yes thank Thank you. you I, a question that I had. So while doing my research on you, I found that you have a BA in sociology, a master's in women and gender and sexuality studies, and you're currently a doctoral candidate for um, multicultural women and gender studies. And that is, when I first read that, I was like, wow, this is a person who uh, I associate like with science right off the bat. And maybe it's me being binary, but I don't associate science and, and like poetry and arts and literature as being a part of the same sort of hemisphere. So I want to know, how does your background as this science-educated woman, how does that affect your work with poetry? 
Sure. I love that. Thank you for doing your research. That's how, how exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, I just want to say that I am actually officially Dr. Alvarez Hughes. Wonderful. I have <laughs> yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Very exciting. <laughs> yes. And I, I love that question because there is this this idea. You use the term hemisphere and, you know, as as I'm sure you will learn. I, I love words and I'm like, all the words are, are very poignant choices that we make. And and mm-hmm. yes, right. So this idea of this division, right, with like the arts and poetry and feelings and emotive materials on one side and kind of more, you know, science based research, pragmatic, um, logistical stuff on the other. Um, and oftentimes, like I, I really lean into um some of this science-based like education that I have for when I'm thinking of creating the poems right so in a way um you know and 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 this comes and goes it really depends on the day but sometimes there's like a formula that I have in my head when I'm when I'm asking people about their topic and stuff like this I it's almost mathematical (laughs) like okay let's they're going to tell me a couple of words here and some of these words are going to have a lot of feeling and some of these words are going to be filler right and so like find the feelings and I and I put them like almost as like a bottom common denominator (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then on the other side of the formula will be like, where is um, the more kind of picturesque, you know, language, the clouds, the up in the air type of stuff that's real artsy, that'll help create this poem. So I really lean into both, right? Both kind of hemispheres, if you will, um, when creating these things. And I, I try to think of, of the education as an asset, right? Uh, when I mm-hmm. said earlier that I know a lot of words, <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> what I meant. That's kind of what I was <laughs> talking about. And so just using it as, um, yeah, I think like an asset, like a tool that I have available to me. And also in, in thinking about, you know, what my bachelor's and my master's and now my, my PhD, which is exciting to think of it as a past tense, like something that I now have, <laughs> um, uh, you know, they all are kind of based on uh, sociology, gender, women, right? And um, so these kinds of lived experiences, right, that people have that make them, you know, unique individuals. And so I think that that really relates to the idea of a poem because um, you know every everyone is is their own person and but we also are like a community right you're also mm-hmm. who you are now because of where you were when and I try to think of that when I'm creating the poems one of the first things I ask myself is like how can I write this poem that it is like only for this person and in being only for this person like it it, the more specific I can make it in a way the more universal it'll become right Mm -hmm. so yes (laughs) that speaks (laughs) to your science question it did yes (laughs) yes it did I'd like to to see if we can do a sort of not necessarily exercise Mm -hmm. but and you don't have to uh, because I know people pay for these but I was wondering (laughs) if we could walk through what it's like for you to write one of these poems based off of a topic someone gives you and what that sort of looks like so we can talk about it and discuss it further would you be okay with that yeah let's do it let's do it all right well you're the professional here how do you usually do this Oh my gosh. Okay, we're on, we're on. <laughs> no, so should we, do, would you like one? We can oh, yeah. Of, okay, so let's do it. Um, do you have like a topic that you uh, would like I can, to? I can, uh, let's do oranges. It's it's topical. Ooh, okay. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds great. Okay, so with something <laughs> like this, with whatever the person chooses, I then like ask them like, what what about oranges is that? you know what about your topic is it that you kind of want to say something about so I feel like orange might be an interesting I'd love to know what you'd want where you want to go with oranges Uh, I like I like how sweet they are and how vibrant they are okay that's wonderful that's wonderful So um, so then I would ask you about a time you ate an orange and like if you can tell me a little bit about what you were doing or what that was about yeah, a little earlier this time last year, I was with my friend in LA uh, during school. Okay. And me and her were going on a hike up a mountain that was near where we lived, and I brought oranges along, and it was a nice it was a nice time. 
Nice. Okay. Okay. So then if, if I were at my typewriter, which I'm not, <laughs> but I would then kind of sit and think about this story and then also think about like oranges, right. And all the things that an orange itself symbolizes and is both literally, literally and figuratively. And then also mm-hmm. this, this specific story you just told. Right. And so in this story, I would think of the oranges both as like nourishment, right. Cause you brought them along mm-hmm. on the hike. Um, and so also like what that means as far as like fruits and health you know and you're going on a hike like what a kind of classic um you know like self like health type of stuff and also like discovery right um so then I would think of an orange and think of this what you were doing and so I would uh, when I when I think of oranges the word pulpy always comes out right like the pulp right so I would say something like um about you and your friend being together as this um, you know, kind of glorious afternoon where like the pulp of it was the walk, but there was also these like sweet fruit that you bit into and the the sweetness kind of splattering on the tongue, both in the moment, but also the creation of a memory. Something like oh, that's this. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm on the spot. I'm on the spot. I gotta tell you, if I had like my, before I write the, po- type the poems on the typewriter, you know, the nice, clean, crisp piece of paper I have Mm -hmm. one of those um kind of like composition notebooks that people have in their ninth grade English class um Uh that is just a a beautiful disaster of all the parts of the poem that are that are created before the poem itself exists so what I was just saying here I would have put that all in the notebook and then been like okay what's where's the richness where's the how can we make this both you know poignant and powerful and then also just artistic and and beautiful like a a photo of that day but with the scent of oranges (laughs) (laughs) and is that how you've always written poetry like writing it down someplace else first trying to search around it for the as you said richness and then trying to repurpose that for like the finished work yes yes like so I I of course have poems like in journals and stuff like that not like published journals but I mean like journals at my home um that Mm -hmm. never became any crisper cleaner than their original uh you know purpose or intent for when they were written but Mm -hmm. um other than that yes I always like I'll have the rough draft right and then I'll have the more kind of polished um creation that is easier and cleaner and uh you know, to kind of consume, if you will, read, understand, um, even for myself. <laughs> so, you know, because uh, cause I write poems, like, for my own life, obviously, or own kind of whatever's happening, um, that I will, at the time, fully understand in the rough draft in the ninth grade composition notebook. But in later in life, I'll be like, what was that? So I like to also <laughs> create them uh, either typed or now kind of neatly handwritten in their few, in their new form that I, that is digestible at any time, right? So not just when I wrote them, but easily consumed uh, in the future to kind of as a little map, a little guide of who I was back then. How long exactly have you been writing poems? Well, I ha- I officially, you know, I just love that question because I feel like I, you know, I certainly wrote poems when I was like in the sixth grade and stuff like this. Um, mm-hmm. And and just like in life, I have had moments where I'm like, oh, let me write some stuff down. Um, but I think uh, officially like writing down things that I call poems and doing it more than once or twice a year would be since uh, 2020. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, then deeper question. From the from the beginning of 2020 to now in this moment in 2021, have you noticed if your writing process of poems has changed or shifted at all, especially since you're doing it more often? Yes, certainly. Certainly. I feel um, I liken it to learning how to play an instrument, right? So it's like in the mm-hmm. beginning, you, you learn like the home keys of the piano or whatnot. Um, but with practice and stuff, you're you're able to really kind of play the piano and so it's kind of similar uh when I when I started I was very much um like okay let me just lean into what the person is saying and kind of go off 
you know, the top of my head and stuff. But now I've developed like some formulas that really work for me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've also found that, you know, I've now also kind of read some books about how to write poetry and stuff like this, um, that I don't like, I don't use all the time. But I also feel like no one way of doing it fits every poem, right? So Mm -hmm. it it is also like when when people are telling me what they want the poem to be about and stuff, I will decide like, okay, what's the best approach for this individual poem and but I you know I I will tell you that I I find that I have more and more tools more and more ways um that I'm like oh this is what this person needs this is what this poem this story this is what this one needs and yeah so it has certainly changed and developed and I think that um as I read some of perhaps like the first ones I wrote uh you know (laughs) I can be like oh I've grown a lot (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned, so you mentioned that you read some books about how to write poetry. Could you share those with us and share how they helped you? Sure, sure. So one is called um, "How Poetry Can Change Your Heart" by um, Andrea Gibson and Megan. Oh gosh, Megan's name escapes me. Um, I can probably look it up real quick, but um, that one has been really beautiful. And I, I shared that one on my Instagram uh, towards the very beginning of this journey. Um, because and it's quite short. Okay, her name is Megan Fally. Sorry, you, you know how it is. You're like, okay, wait, I have to look this up. Um, and that one has been really great because, um, you know, it just, she, they include all kinds of. Um, different poet poems and different styles and um kind of like tell you what each one can do and stuff and so that has been really useful for me and and I kind of when I sit down to write the poems I'm like okay what style does this specific poem need and I also um sometimes think that not all the poems need a style right like sometimes it's just mm-hmm. uh like you know the person itself themselves tell me something and I'm like oh, okay this just needs to be a lot of um intense words or this one just needs to be a a short story almost like a real short story um where that's almost what I lean into (laughs) so it's it's not even always strictly like a poetic formula as much Mm. as like you know what I'm saying about a short story so that's one of them and I think um I know another poet that I read often is um Rupi Kaur um, oh yes. yes and she what I love is uh like you know she has many poems different lengths you know different things going on um but they're all again like quite relatable right you can you can mm-hmm. you know she's writing them about herself but you're reading them and you're like oh yeah I can see this or I've been here I've experienced this so um so that one's less of like a how to write poems but I think in a way it, it still is that because I'm like okay I'm reading here she's it's literally four sentences or something like this but I can relate to it so well like how can I write something like this where it's real again going back to like very specific and in it and it being specific becomes almost universal right mm. mm-hmm. so yes and you also mentioned in your previous statement the one that just that just happened uh-huh. that that you don't necessarily favor form but I did also want to but I did want to ask like do you find that unintentionally there is a form that you do uh tend towards whether it be like not limericks. No one does limericks anymore. But like, do you have a specific poetic form that you do do like more than the others? Um, I don't know. I don't know if I've noticed. I think that like if I put you know, maybe like the last, uh, maybe like a random sample of 10 poems I've written and stuff, I, I would see that they're somewhat similar, uh, at least in length, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I do, uh, and sometimes I I tell myself, like, this poem can be shorter, right? Like, we don't need to say so much. We don't need to put everything that the person just said in this poem, right? Like, that that some of it is is not going to be as powerful uh, if, if it's too long. Um, you know, like no matter what, this sheet of paper is the the small sheet of paper that me and my stepsons have pre-cut at the house, <laughs> so they can't be any longer. Um, so, but just yes, kind of focusing on being concise, right? Like that the poem, in order to to say what it needs to say, it certainly doesn't have to be very long. 
you know, so that you ideally that would simplify it, but I don't think simple means easy, right? I think, uh, and I run into that. I'm like, okay, I, I've said a lot here. Like, is this really necessary? So when I think of form, um, yeah, I think, it, like I said, if we looked at 10, I'm sure they would all be somewhat similar, at least in length and um, in how much like flowery language in mm-hmm. ratio to like the the more kind of like anchoring feelings and such. Hmm. I know uh, one thing that Amanda Gorin, who is currently like the poet, American poet superstar, okay, yes. one thing I heard her say, <laughs> one thing I heard her say in an interview was that uh, when she writes poetry, like she collects, like she collects words from other places, like phrases that she'll hear and she'll think, oh, that's good. Or, oh, I can use that later. Uh, What do you do to sort of construct and find the sort of flowery language that you do use in your poems? What what's your influence for that? Sure. Oh, I love that. And I love her. She's, you know, definitely yeah, like <laughs> a rock star in this situation. Oh my gosh. Um, but yeah, so I have uh, like a notebook in my purse, a small like little notebook. And I also have my phone. And um, I took this, uh, like a workshop called the Good Line Graveyard, right? And uh, mm-hmm. it's just where you, if you find lines like in life, in a poem, in a movie, in a song, Uh, someone says something you know you just um you know that this could be good in a poem so you write it down right and um my phone is full of them right and also like in in the notebook and I will find myself like sometimes um like I even come up with them right which is so crazy right that I myself would come up with this was back to that imposter something but um one one example is I was looking at like a tree right and uh and we think of trees as these kind of real still entities static right but in reality like I I saw um what became really obvious that parts of the branches of the tree grew in a different way to like try to get more sun or because there was another branch in the way. So instead of becoming like really malleable, right, really kind of mm-hmm. constantly in motion. And, and so then I got th- to thinking about the branches and stuff and I was outside and I was actually doing yoga. So I was looking at my hands and I thought of like, the lines in my hands as types of branches right um and so then from that came uh like this line about like a partner's hands and like the lines being branches that just kind of grew into you type of stuff yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes um and then so that's one example but another one that i really love was um i try to think of things like words that are that come up right that maybe have something that'll correlate but that isn't obvious right and so mm-hmm. um one word is soft right and so I'm like okay so there's some real obvious soft stuff you know like a blanket or a lamb this kind of thing but then there's also like soft sounding stuff right so things that sound softer right like an acoustic version of a song or something like this and so mm-hmm. um I was writing this poem for um actually my friend Drew who does um 1692 kind of matcha coffees and such real wonderful young man and he asked me to write a poem about his his girlfriend um who him and her had just had a baby in addition to the babies they already have so he was like a new father plus you know other yeah and he wanted to write her a poem and one of the things he told me was just that yeah that her skin was soft and then another thing he told me because I asked him I'm like what do you like to do with her and he's like we love to listen to music right like we love listening to music together that's something we share so I wrote this line about how her skin was soft like an acoustic version of their favorite song right and he loved it (laughs) so and I just love those moments when um when people read the poem and uh and kind of like whoa what is this you know this um really gets it and so that's why I I just saved the the good line graveyards I'm like okay where can we um kind of borrow from those good lines and uh and make it specific to this person to this story this poem Mm -hmm. yeah uh you meant, you've mentioned a couple times now that you that imposter sh- syndrome is something that you struggle with. So I just want to know mm-hmm. how do you handle that? Yes. Okay. So um, so imposter syndrome is something that I know a lot of academics suffer from, right? Like, um, and as we said earlier, like I I am an academic, right? I 
about these degrees. Um, and you just kind of, you feel like, um, you know, your family and your friends and like tell you you're smart and you're just like, okay. And you have these degrees that suggest you're smart and you're like, okay. But then when you're um, amongst other like academics, you're like, oh, this person's obviously smarter than I am. <laughs> And so um, luckily by experiencing that in that hemisphere to borrow from your language, um, you know, (laughs) when I have it in in my poetry writing world, I'm able to kind of be like, to to kind of hear it for what it is, right, which is just my own self-doubt you know there's there's certainly no one receiving a poem from me being like oh this isn't a poetry you're not a poet right <laughs> you like that voice <laughs> that's the voice that I picture they would have <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah so but yeah so just this idea that I began with like I said even when I sent Stephanie Buena Market um, some poems you know that that they're not gonna like this that they're not gonna accept this um and I think what has really helped me get away from that other than of course um you know using the analogy of like being a student and an academic and and getting over it um is kind of coming to terms with that uh, you know anybody who's good at something not everyone's gonna like what they're good at <laughs> you know mm-hmm. you can be this great chef and make an amazing like peach cobbler and there'll still be someone who doesn't like peaches you know so yeah. <laughs> um, th- that's what I think of I'm like you know what I'm creating this and it's hopefully helping certain people or at least giving them like a good kind of moment um, and if there's people who it doesn't do that for right if, which I'm certain I'll run along to into or may perhaps already have right um that that doesn't necessarily take away from like how I feel about creating this you know and so Mm. um just honoring that that the audience's feelings are their own right and don't need to necessarily dictate whether or not I myself am like a poet and uh, another question yes (laughs) so you are you are um a poet a business owner you're a doctor, you are a wife, you're a mom, you got, there's a lot of stuff. (laughs) So how do you, how do you manage all of this? And how do you balance all of this to make sure that everything gets to be at its tip top, uh, being tip top performance? Sure. Yes. I love that question. And I think it's so important, like, especially for women, right? Because, because, uh, you know, men, they'll have all those identities, right? They'll be husband and father and this, but then it's like, oh, well, you, you know, it doesn't really, I'm sure you have like a wife or someone at home who's taking care of your kids, right? So we don't, <laughs> we don't need to ask you why you're such a good lawyer or why you're such a good doctor, or all these things, uh, like, and how you're also balancing dad life or husband life, because we just just, you know, assume that someone else like is taking that on for them and someone else probably is. <laughs> um, but yes, for me, I think the, the main thing is that uh, I let go of the idea that any one of those identities needs to be perfect. And I think mm-hmm. that in doing so, I actually open up um, the reality that all of those identities become like a little more rich. And there there will be days when one of those will take center stage, right? When like, if my child is sick, then on that day, I'm big time mom, right? Like, I know I may not be writing any poems that day or doing any school stuff or anything like that. And so, and being okay with that, right? Uh, just like, that's you know I I am but this one human entity and I can only take on so much um so I think certainly giving up the idea that it has to be perfect um and also um giving giving up the idea that I have to be great at all those things on any given day right um Mm. And that has been, you know, that has been really useful. I think that I wouldn't tell you that anyone in my family has suffered from my choice to, like, dedicate a day to poem writing or dedicate a day <laughs> to, to more scholastic school type stuff. Um, uh, or certainly not for many days that I dedicate to them specifically and exclusively. Um, so I think, yes, that's how I, that's how I juggle the plates is accepting that sometimes the plates are going to break, the plates are going to fall and they're going to break, but it's okay. You know, I, no one, it's, it's not going to be detrimental for anyone. 
Was it uh, difficult figuring out how to accept all that? Was that a journey? I think what makes it easier, to be honest with you, is that I, I got married and I became a mom, like, in my 30s. And so that gave me, you know, my 20s were just this, like, almost, like, extended adolescence. And I'm not, <laughs> I know people in their 20s might be like, wait, what? Hang on. And I get it. You know, you're adulting. You're doing great. I promise you're doing great. Right? out whatever you're doing in your 20s as long as possible but for me um that gave me a long time to learn who diana was right and you mm -hmm. know and one of the things that i learned was that diana was you know a jill of all trades if you will diana was good at a lot of things but she wasn't good at all the things and she certainly wasn't good at all the thing you know all the things she was good at all the time mm -hmm. so then by the time i became uh, a mom it, you know i mean becoming a mom like changes you no matter what you thought beforehand um but it I really like gave myself a lot of room to fail and I think that when you allow yourself to fail sometimes at being a mom like no other identity fails as um you know like if you fail at other things like you know as a student like when I failed at a test like okay I'll either retake this class or hopefully retake this test and stuff like this but when you fail at certain mom things you're just like oh man this is it <laughs> and, um and so to kind of learn like no it, it wasn't like you know that your your child your baby or whatnot was gonna be okay you know and you're was just gonna have to try again that it actually wasn't that from failing at a test like you were just gonna have to take it again um and this time <laughs> if anything you would be better equipped you're gonna be you would have been there already you knew so yes I think that like in becoming a mom later in life and in getting married later in life I I learned that these are like identities that I am for sure um but also they are not like all that I am right and so that allows you to just be gentle as hell with yourself <laughs> if I can be honest. and so that's been quite useful in, in all the ways oh, okay back to back to poetry questions okay. <laughs> real quick so you're a poet have you ever dabbled in other literary mediums um I don't know not really I I am kind of interested sometimes in short stories um mm -hmm. and just kind of different fiction type stuff but I haven't like moved through with it I haven't done more um so no but I I do uh when I was like in college and in high school not really literary but I did a lot of theater and I think that that having done that and the tools that I learned there have tr have helped me like tremendously in a lot of poetry related things you know just these different kind of arts based learning um have made poetry a little easier a little smoother okay now I have two questions I'm going to ask this one first mm -hmm. how exactly did theater impact your uh your writing of poetry okay awesome <laughs> I love how you create these questions like based on the data I'm giving you. You're like, let's go with this question. That's excellent. <laughs> that is excellent. Um, yeah. So uh, the theater stuff, I would say it's because I remember um, when I would when I would play a character, when I would play a part, um, I would always like if, if the part was a play or a mute. I'm sorry, like a, a movie that already existed. I would make sure not to watch that movie, right? Because mm -hmm. I would be like, you know, I'm sure whoever the actress in it did did it great but I need to do it like how Diana's going to do it. So um, just asking myself like how this character, um, like how only I could play this character in this specific way. And so that has helped me with kind of what I've told you about the poems. Like what can I say about this topic or whatever or whatnot or that only I can say, right? How can I write this poem in a way that if this person had told another poet the exact same thing she or he um, or they just told me, that person would write it in a way that is totally different from this. Like how how can I make it my own? And so I think with the theater stuff, um, you know, yeah, just like same thing. Like how is this character just my own and only I can play it in this specific way? So that's hmm. been really helpful. Okay. And then second question, since you haven't been uh, attracted to other mediums, really excluding short stories, yes. 
What exactly is it about poetry and shorter content in general that draws you to it? I think for me is honestly, I think it's the academic, like the other, the academic side where, mm-hmm. you know, I just finished writing a dissertation, which was like this 200 page, very much nonfiction <laughs> um, creation of just like research and data and tables and figures and stuff like this. And, and then, you know, the other things I've created as an academic have been, you know, like term papers, theses, like all these things that were really long nonfiction material. So poetry becomes this like escape, right, where I can say something and I can say it quick and I don't need to cite my sources. I don't need to, you know, show the receipts of where I came up with this, you know, like I don't have to prove it's real. Oh, that's liberating. That alone is so liberating, (laughs) right? And so, yes, I think also, um, if you know I said a lot earlier that we are who we are because of where we are when right and if I think about now um we just we live in an era where things are quite quick right I mean I'll be Mm -hmm. watching a TikTok video and if it's three minutes I'm done watching I'm not gonna watch the whole thing right yeah and so we we have such short (laughs) spans like time spans and so I'm like if someone um is already committing to sit down and read this poem um I only got I only got them for a little while you know and so I'm like let me do uh let me say what I'm gonna say in the equivalent of like a short TikTok video you know like just I I, Mm -hmm. if I want to keep them I gotta keep it short and that's just what works for me and I think Honestly, you know, not to say that the novel or a longer story isn't totally working because I, of course, will sit down with a book all the time. Um, But Mm. when I think of what I'm creating, what I am, you know, kind of feeling called to do at this time, I just I have to be real true to um, concise, like brevity, right? Like shortness, like just, Mm -hmm. yes. Yeah. So then that brings up a question for me of, since we, uh, since we, since you are writing in this time of, of quick, uh, this time of like 15 seconds mm-hmm. or less. Sure. My question then becomes, when you write, do you consider longevity in your works? And if you do, what is that dichotomy like? So um, say more so I can understand your question and answer it. Like, Yes. Yeah. So like, so like, for instance, like when people talk about, and this is just like the general person, because he's literally like the biggest writer in the English language. When people talk about like Shakespeare, right? Sure. And they talk about like the relevancy of his words that were written in the 1500s, but are somehow still relevant yeah. now. Like that's just straight up longevity. Sure. And I just, I want to know like, cause so often, cause I'm too a writer. So often so many of my friends are sort of not obsessed, but they do want to create something that lasts for longer than they'll be around. So Beautiful. in a time where so much is meant to be consumed in the moment mm-hmm. and then sort of left after that, I want to know, do you consider longevity when you write your works? And if so, what's that dichotomy like since you do enjoy the brevity of poetry? Sure. Okay. I understand what you're asking. Yes. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, like what I think of the poems uh, almost is like a, a snapshot, right? Of this moment, this topic, what they want to get across um, right now. And because they're so individual, right? They're for this person mm-hmm. at this time. I think that in a way, um, it becomes like a picture of themselves, right? And when you have, you know, we have so many pictures of ourselves on our phones and such, but when you have something that you printed out, right? And this is where the somatic experience of it being like an actual piece of paper in their hand um, mm-hmm. that that kind of, you know, like what I told you to go back to the poem we have in our fridge, right? Um, mm-hmm. there, there's something about it um, speaking to you who you were at that time that becomes this little almost keepsake like thing of yourself at this point and I I feel um, from what people have told me like where the poems are for them right now I know a number of people have said that they've framed it or put it up on their wall or it's on their fridge or it's in a drawer and I think of like they will run across you know I mean if it's framed oh my gosh like what an honor right (laughs) I'm just like oh goodness right again in an era where most of our images are on our phones or devices um, that are virtual and digital to have something 
something um, tangible up on the wall to to get to live in their home in that way, um, that alone is like, I think of longevity, right? So if they, even if Mm. they see it months from now, years from now, right? Like they're walking across it sometimes and occasionally sitting down to read it again, or maybe read a line Mm. again. And then I think of uh, the people who come to their homes, right? People who weren't there in that moment when I wrote it, but who will read these words and kind of learn a little bit more about their friend or their, you know, neighbor or whoever house they're in um, because of this short poem that I wrote for them then. So I I do think that the poems um, will kind of live a lot longer than when I wrote them. And the, the key to their longevity is the, like the specificness of the now, right? Mm -hmm. Because I think that that's what, you know, as life goes on, um, like, I love reading the new love poem now that Jeremy and I are married and have kids, right? Uh, (laughs) When things can feel not romantic, right? It's not new love. It's it's something totally different now. And to have that and and be able to kind of read uh, something that really captured how we felt back then, like, you really, you really lean into it. You really honor it. And, and to think that some of my poems might do that for people, um, you know, I, I already feel with these, with these poems, like in some ways I'm going to, like, I'm going to live forever. <laughs> like to think of Shakespeare, mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, cause even post myself existing, right? Like these things that I created will exist and, um, mm-hmm. and will continue to be read and, and seen by people. Um, and so that alone feels like kind of eternal almost, to be honest with you. Nice. Yeah. That's out. That was very lovely. Oh, um, <laughs> So something that you said earlier was that, and this isn't not an, this is an approximation, okay. but something that you said earlier was that we're not only people, but we're also a community. Mm-hmm. So I want to know how exactly have you gone about building your artistic community and writing communities in Lakeland uh, to, yeah, just share that, sure. <laughs> please. Sure. Um, yeah. So I I don't know that I have like. Um, built community as far as like with other writers or or things like that but I do feel like a connection to other artists in the Lakeland community and uh I know you uh spoke with Sarah Jones right she's uh, yes I did that's why I found out about you yeah right and so um when I when I learn of local artists um I'm I'm kind of like attracted I want I'm like I want to know more and um so she's one example of someone who I like commissioned to to please create this painting of um, oranges, orange blossoms mm-hmm. and a typewriter. And she actually came and took pictures of my actual typewriter. Like it was, you know, this darling baby. It was so fun. <laughs> um, and so just, and then there was a, another a local artist. Her name is, I know her first name is Julia, but her last name escapes me. And she Julia Patrick? I believe so. She's, I wonder, I think. Yeah. Um, And she she does like a lot of kind of fun landscape looking things. Are we on the right? Yeah. Uh, And also like local, yeah, Julia Patrick and also kind of local businesses. Um, And I remember seeing some of her work and being like, oh, I need to commission Julia to paint something for me. And she, uh, she's really talented. She's wonderful. And she did this painting of my backyard, right? Because with coronavirus, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we couldn't go anywhere. And and I just really leaned into how blessed I was to have this really big backyard where my kids could play, where I could do yoga, where I could go out at night and just look at the moon and write poems, right? So it became Mm -hmm. this romantic relationship with a space. Um, and I was like really kind of leaning into it. And when I saw what she was creating, um, in her art of just, you know, like different kinds of leaves and feathers and, um, flowers and stuff, I asked her to, to do one for my backyard and it came out beautifully. I mean, both of these women, the, uh, Sarah Jones and Julia Patrick, who I have commissioned for stuff, like just kind of blew my mind with their art and their talent. Um, so in those ways, I have felt community with artists, um, but I will tell you that the the way I have felt the most community through the poetry um, is I, I have a young man who is a regular of mine um, who comes, you know, to almost every every um, like time I have a, a market going on. Oh gosh, his name is escaping me, which is sad news. 
Um, <laughs> but he came to me one time and he asked me for a poem and he, you know, he usually has a topic ready to go and he said he didn't have one. And so I asked him my guiding questions, um, which was like, you know, what in the past couple of days has brought you like the biggest feeling? And I specifically say biggest and not happiest because I like mm-hmm. to lean into the reality that life is not always happy, right? And sometimes, yes. and that's okay. And sometimes, Sometimes it is it is those moments that require the most poetic kind of leaning into. Um, and he was hesitant. He was like, you know, um, I got to tell you the the answer is just not a good thing. And I'm like, let's let's hear it. And he is a student at a local university, and there had been a sexual assault on campus of a young woman. Um, mm-hmm. And he and his girlfriend. Um, you know, his girlfriend had felt afraid. She was a student on campus who lived on campus um, and the, the assault had happened on campus. So she was feeling a lot of, you know, feelings. And he too, you know, he was feeling not only kind of anger, but he was also, you know, he had some fear about his own girlfriend living in this space. And, you know, not to mention like, yeah, the anger you feel that something like this happened in, in what feels mm-hmm. like a safe space, like a university. Um, and he shared this with me and I created this poem um, called the hunting ground about what it's like to to be on campus uh, to be a student you know in this time where you're finding yourself learning all these new ideas right just this place where you really want to blossom and and instead mm-hmm. you're seeing that you know you're seeing some of this happening and, and just feeling really stunted by it and stuff. Um, and he shared it with um, some people at his, at the university and then they shared it on Instagram and tagged me. And, and I saw how it was um, kind of making the rounds and being seen by students who felt seen by it, who then kind of followed my page. And a couple of them reached out to me and said, thank you for these words. And I was just like, Holy mackerel. <laughs> right. You know, it just <laughs> felt like, okay, Um, In thinking about community, here's something I'm doing um, at a time when students can feel really silenced, right? You know, can feel really Mm. kind of, you know, yeah, just silenced, like giving a voice to some of these feelings that are um, really powerful and and damaging, but in putting them in writing and airing them out um, and sharing them, the students felt like seen in this way. Um, So that for me felt like something I was doing for for my community. you know, and in, in a obviously in an unfortunate circumstance, uh, you know, just kind of deplorable act, but something that I was able to create that brought, um, you know, some kind of not like I was going to say grief, but I don't think that's the word. Um, you know, that kind of help deal with the situation, navigate it. Yeah, mm-hmm. a, a bit of relief. Yes, yeah. relief, or relief. Guidance. Yes. Yeah. So it sounds like you really hit on a truth that existed within that community and like really sh- struck a chord. Sure. And so much of poetry, like all art, is about hitting a, uh, hitting on the truth of human nature. So I just want to know, since you've been doing this consistently, mm-hmm. what exactly have you learned about uh, humanity that you didn't know before? <laughs> this is great. By the way, I love this. By the way, uh, the young man's name was Liam. Um, he's my regular. So I was like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta get the name. <laughs> Yes, right. So I love that. I I think something that I've learned that I I maybe thought before, but I feel like now I'm really knowing um, is as much as we we live in this society where people really want to label themselves like extroverts or introverts or, you know, you don't want people just coming up to your house. You don't want people just showing up. I saw this great meme of um, a possum in a trash can and it was like, uh, it was like, oh, when people come to your house and you're just like, um, did you make an appointment? (laughs) You you just don't want, uh, you know, just kind of lost of closed in stuff um that people are looking for connection right that people mm-hmm. want to be seen um and i feel like in creating the poems when i ask them the questions when i ask them about themselves what they would like to see in this poem and um, oftentimes you know i feel like they're asking for a mirror they're asking me to reflect onto them things they've already said in just perhaps a more poetic, uh, romantic, not necessarily romantic as in love, but romantic as in romanticized, right? Like I'm having these Mm -hmm. feelings and they feel rough. They feel, you know, there's a lot of hard edges. How can we put this in a poem and, um, 
you know, it be kind of smoother, easier, digestible, you know, consumables, like a, a term I often use. Um, but yes, like they're asking me to, to reflect that back onto them, mirror that back onto them. And I, I gotta tell you, I'm, I'm honored, right? Like I have often, mm-hmm. uh, there's been a couple of times when I myself, like, um, just kind of weep, right? At the, at the vulnerability that the people that the strangers you know strangers offer me and I'm just like oh my gosh like uh yeah just humbled that that they chose me that they feel like they can share this with me and um it's pretty rich stuff you know it's it's really kind of neat to to be able to create this for for this these people this community Mm -hmm. yeah yeah all right. Well, it's the interview's winding down. I have three more questions okay. left, uh, but I really anticipate your answers. Okay. So first one, <laughs> first one, are you reading any poetry that's moving you? Like what, what are you uh, watching, reading, consuming? What, what's happening? Okay. Um, so I feel like I mentioned Rupert Kaur earlier. Um, yes. So she always moves me, but I guess I would say um, that I'm currently reading a gentleman. Um, I also speak Spanish, right? So I do a lot of mm-hmm. reading in Spanish. Um, he's a Mexican poet named Octavio Paz. Um, and he was someone who my grandfather um, recommended to me like two years ago. And then I was like, sure, grandpa, you know, I'll get to it. I'll read it. And then my grandfather passed away. Um, and mm-hmm. so it has been like earlier this year, it was the year anniversary of his having passed away. And I really felt like I needed to connect. I needed more. I needed to connect to him. And I remembered him recommending Octavio Pass. And I just like bought a couple of his his books and his poems online and uh i've been reading them which has been really really interesting um and it, it almost feels like uh you know in reading this uh his work like i'm connecting to my grandfather right because i feel like mm-hmm. whatever our favorite poems or favorite songs movies uh, books right like there's something about us that we see what i've said about reflected in these pieces and so to read this um i just feel so blessed like like I'm getting to almost have conversations with my grandpa and I I'll read some parts and I'm like oh of course he liked this right like this is some rich stuff so um (laughs) really good work he he's the one I'm reading now of his it it does have an English translation and something about like the labyrinth of solitude yes I think that's what it's called it's really great. I'll just tell you this real quick. Um, it's this Mexican man who um, he moved to Los Angeles and he's telling us about um, how Los Angeles is both Mexico and the United States, right? And how it just coexists, like um, not harmoniously at all times, but nonetheless is made to coexist, right? And and I just love that because I mean, you know, as, as a Latino person, um, I, I love the idea of LA uh, being represented for what it is, which is a both and. Um, but if we want to go real far back, it is Mexico, right? And I just think of um, George Lopez, the comedian, he was asked like um, where his ancestors were from and he's like, LA bitch. <laughs> and I'm just like that because it's, it's true, right? And so um, in reading this this poet, you know, this long book, very long poem, um, I, I see all these kind of different uh, political things that my grandfather very much was kind of expressed in art. And so that that's been something I've been connecting to a lot. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, thank you for sharing. Sure. Second question. Do you have anybody like any other fellow uh, Lakeland or Florida or Tampa Bay artists that you'd like to shout out at this moment? So I already mentioned Sarah and Julia. Mm-hmm. I would have to. I would have to think about it. I know that there's um, this woman doing great art over in Orlando. Her name is Candace. I'm not sure what her last name is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I know that I can send you some some folks that are really that are really her name is candace neal and her instagram is candace can create and i just you know she does a lot of digital art um Mm -hmm. including people's homes or people's meals and made into um you know digital art and i just think like you know i was like wow what talent (laughs) you know just kind (laughs) of blown away by people who can create visual art truly 
honestly. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. And then we've made it to our last question. So, Diana, you're very clearly on your way. Uh, doctor, should I say, Dr. Alphabet, you're very Thank clearly you. on your way. <laughs> yes. You have uh, this wonderful business where you get to write and connect with people and give back to your community and give people words and relief to the, the big capital R romantic feelings that they feel. Uh, you're really doing it. So I want to know, Dr. Alvarez, how exactly will you know when you've made it? Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, oh, I love that. I love that. And I, I have to tell you, I think it'll be when I am invited to write poetry at a wedding. Oh, because what is more poetic and loving and, you know, uh, uh, an honorary of a moment than a wedding day, right? And mm-hmm. to be to be asked to write poem for, poems for, you know, the bride and groom and guests and stuff, that's going to be like, oh, wow, you know, I have arrived. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds yes. really lo- lovely. Thank you. You're welcome. So could you tell the people where they can find you and your work? Yes. So I am on Instagram at Orange Blossom Poems. uh, And that's also the name of my email address, Orange Blossom Poems at Gmail. And I'm on Facebook at Orange Blossom Poems. And you've just finished listening to the eighth episode of On The Way Season 2. On The Way was created, hosted, and edited by me, Jade Madison Scott. The logo was created by Amaka Corey, and the music was created by Baggio Alvarado. All right, so On The Way has one episode left this season, but if you want to stay up to date on that and everything else WGC is doing, because we do have some other stuff, other really cool stuff coming down the pike, you can follow us at WithGoodCo on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. There you can stay up to date with everything we're doing, and you know, get in the know, you know? It's a good, it's a good place to be. All right, so I'm not going to keep you long. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends if you liked it. And I'll catch you next episode with TikToker and blogger Savannah Jones. Uh, It's going to be pretty cool. All right. Have a great day. And don't forget to take care of yourself.